every Monday to Friday. This is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Good morning. It's Friday, the 5th of January, 2024. This is Peter Lewis welcoming you to the final Money Talk of the week, the show that brings you news and analysis of the top business and finance stories from across Asia. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. And according to the Podstats, we're attracting a number of new listeners from the Czech Republic. So if you're listening from there, thank you for joining the Money Talk community and downloading this podcast and Happy New Year. In today's business and finance headlines, China's services activity expanded at the fastest pace in five months as companies showed greater optimism about 2024. The headline Kaishin Services Index rose to 52.9 in December from 51.5 the previous month, beating economists' forecasts of 51.6. It was the 12th straight month of growth in services activity and the fastest expansion since July. Retail sales in Hong Kong rose 12.4% year-on-year on on a volume basis in November, sharply accelerating from an upwardly revised 10-month high of 2.9% in the previous month. It was the highest gain since July, boosted by rebounds in sales for clothing, jewellery and other valuable gifts, along with food, alcoholic drinks and tobacco. On a monthly basis, retail activity increased 0.4% in November, sharply decelerating from an upwardly revised 6.1% rise in the previous month. The latest data from the United States shows initial jobless claims, which is a proxy for layoffs, declined more than expected last week in a sign of continued strength in the labour market. In addition, data from the ADP Research Institute showed that 164,000 private sector jobs were added to the U.S. economy in December, well above market estimates, to underscore the current strength of the U.S. labour market and limit the need for aggressive rate cuts by the Fed. Hong Kong's compulsory retirement scheme, which covers 4.7 million people in the city, reported investment gains of 3.5% in 2023. That's the first increase since 2020, thanks to strong market rallies in the US, Japan and other non-Chinese markets. The Mandatory Provident Fund gained 37.4 billion Hong Kong dollars in 2023. That's 8,000 Hong Kong dollars per member, according to data from MPF Ratings, an independent research firm. On today's programme, I'm joined by Francis Lund, the CEO of Geo Securities, and Alex Fru McMillan, a freelance writer and Asia columnist for TheStreet.com. With a view from Australia and New Zealand is Mike Gibbs-Harris, Director of MGH Asset Management in Wellington, New Zealand. And if you want to get in touch with any questions or comments, please go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com, and that's where you'll find my daily newsletter with plenty more business and finance news from across the Asia-Pacific region. On Wall Street, U.S. stocks continued their poor start to the year following the release of stronger-than-expected U.S. labor market data. The S&P 500 slid a third of a percent, marking a fourth day of declines, finishing at 4,689. That's its worst start to a new year since 2008. The Nasdaq Composite fell for a fifth day, dipping 0.6% to end at 14,510. That's its longest losing streak since October 2022. The Dow was the outperformer, eking out a 10-point gain to close at 37,440. 
The magnificent seven stocks have erased all of December's gains as mega cap tech stocks such as Apple are underperforming to start the year. Shares of Apple fell 1.3% after suffering its second downgrade of the week. Piper Sandler cut its Apple rating on Thursday, citing a weak macro environment in China that will dampen demand for iPhones. That follows a downgrade by Barclays earlier in the week. The stock, which had rallied nearly 50% last year, has tumbled 5.5% so far this week, wiping off a 165 billion US dollars in market value. Yields on benchmark 10-year US Treasuries extended gains to climb 10 basis points to 4% and extend the rebound from the five-month low of 3.8% touched on December the 27th. The US dollar index paired earlier losses to end the session unchanged at 102.4 on Thursday following four days of gains. The yen tumbled 0.9% to 144.5 against the dollar. The offshore yuan depreciated past 7.17 per dollar Thursday, sliding to its lowest level in three weeks. Oil prices fell on Thursday as a huge US fuel inventory buildup overshadowed worries about supply disruptions from mounting tensions in the Middle East. The Brent crude oil contract for March shed 0.8% to settle at $77.59 a barrel. Gold ended the session 0.2% higher at $2,044 an ounce. Bitcoin was up 4% on the day at 44,400 after plunging 4% on Wednesday. And in Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index ended flat at 16,646 on Thursday, uh, reversing losses of 0.8% in morning trading. The tech index ended the day 0.2% higher. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite fell 0.4% to 2,954. And the CSI 300 dropped 0.9%. Futures markets pointing to losses for Hong Kong stocks at the open. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to start the day about 104 points down. That's around 0.6%. The index projected to open at 16,540. And you can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter, which you'll find at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. On this Friday morning, time to welcome our guests. We have with us Francis Lund, the CEO of Geo Securities, for the first time this new year. This year, happy Happy New Year, Francis. Happy New Year, everyone. And also with us, Alec Fru McMillan, a freelance writer and Asia columnist for TheStreet.com. Happy New Year to you, Alex. Happy New Year, Peter. Let's start with China's economy. Services activity expanded at the fastest pace in five months, according to a widely used private survey, as companies showed greater optimism about 2024. The seasonally adjusted headline Kaishin Services Index rose to 52.9 in December from 51.5 the previous month, beating economists' forecasts of 51.6. It was the 12th straight month of growth in services activity and the fastest expansion uh, since July. So, Francis, um, Services yeah. seem to be doing all right, don't they, on the mainland? Better, certainly better than manufacturing. Um, anyway, if we look at the official manufacturing PMI, but is is twenty twenty four going to be the year in which at last we see um, an improvement in the Chinese economy? <laughs> yeah, I think it's really about time that uh, uh, China recovers. Twenty twenty three was a great disappointment. Everybody expected the end of the COVID lockdowns and things will get much, much better. But the fact is, uh, they, uh, because uh, 
uh, a lot of the contract manufacturing have moved out of China. Actually, uh, manufacturing uh, did not pick up in 2023, so it's really left to uh, consumers to mm-hmm. to spend and pick up the economy. But uh, because of the lack of job opportunities, uh, uh, services and retail sales uh, uh, growth was really lacking in 2023. But uh, in 2024. I think after uh, uh, falling for so long, I think the Chinese consumer is ready to buy again. They will try to. Uh, I think they will try to lift the uh, Chinese economy in twenty twenty four. Alex, what are your thoughts? Is twenty twenty four going to be the year for a China turnaround? Yes, I think it is. Um, it probably might take longer than than we expect. I don't think it's going to happen instantly. Uh, as we saw uh, so far, Chinese shares have basically performed just like they did last year, which is going downwards because of disappointing data. Um, and it's going to take a while for, I think, sentiment to to return. So it was interesting that in this uh, services activity uh, report from, from Kaishin that, you know, sentiment is still kind of below longer term averages. Uh, and I do think, you know, it's good to look at long-term trends when you're looking at China. The monthly data comes in a bit spotty. So we saw, you know, conflicting evidence on manufacturing from from the Kaishin report, which was kind of positive, and then official data was negative. Um, services, I think we can see uh, performing stronger and expanding. Uh, so that's a plus. Um, and I think, in terms of the stock markets, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a, a China rally this year. But we kind of got into the situation that we used to be in with Japan, where the Japan bulls would say, you know, this is the year mm-hmm. at the start of every year. And they would <laughs> say it next year, too. Yeah. And uh, so we're saying that with China at the moment. Um, but, you know, after four downward years in Hong Kong, where, you know, the, the, the Hang Seng's now at like half the value of five years ago, I don't think that situation can continue when equities in the rest of the world have been doing better. So I do think we'll see a positive year for for stocks. The economy in China, uh, it's going to be tough to turn it around because of that that sentiment issue and problems with the housing market. And I think a bit of concern about how the Communist Party looks at the private sector. Mm. I mean, Francis, that's been a big concern all year, hasn't it, about yeah. um, what are the priorities for the Chinese government, um, which seem to be less so the economy, more security, and, and it's impacting people's ability to earn and, and, and generate wealth, isn't it? So is, do you think that's going to change yeah. um, this year and, and people are going to be allowed to be more entrepreneurial and earn wealth and keep the wealth that they do actually earn? Yeah, I, I think the, uh, there will be be changes in 2024 because last week, uh, uh, the, I think the head of the propaganda department uh, uh, launched a consultation paper limiting uh, ch- uh, young children's ability to uh, spend money on online games. And then that caused online game shares to fall 20% one day. Mm. And then this week, the head of the propaganda department was dismissed. So heads will roll. So, so I think if, even the uh, party uh, uh, senior party members believe that the economy is the most important thing, you 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 cannot destroy the ability 
of companies to earn some money because if they don't make money and uh, nobody will, be, will will get any jobs and that will be terrible. And this year, I think, I think last year, uh, uh, the uh, starting salary for college graduates took the uh, deepest fall in years. So that shows how bad the job situation is. So uh, even the Communist Party is trying to improve the economy and then try to improve the economic conditions of uh, graduating students. So do you think that uh, that, that retreat on the, the new gaming regulations, um, mm. we should take that as a signal that maybe um, the authorities are realising they have gone too far and they are um, stamping down far too much on businesses? Yeah, I, well, uh, <laughs> I like to think so, because uh, ever since uh, the clampdown on the... Uh, on the end, the end group in uh, November of 2020, actually, uh, uh, the attack on on the, the internet platform and then on the uh, uh, on uh, on the tutoring schools and also on on the uh, online games never stopped until this week. Mm. I think uh, they 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 will try to uh, maintain their balance. Between between control and uh, and the business, how how business operate. I think if if they are, they manage to to do that, I think they will. We uh, the private sector will have some breathing room to revive. What, what do you think, Alex? There have been some policy, big policy mistakes, haven't there, last year, which have really affected businesses. We heard about, for example, these new uh, data protection laws, where if you're a company with more than a million users, which actually isn't very many in a com- country the size of China, you've got to get permission before you can uh, export data overseas to your partners overseas or to your affiliates. And we're finding that companies just aren't getting the approvals because officials are too frightened um, about making a mistake. Yeah, I think this incident with the video gaming um, kind of perfectly encapsulates the situation where uh, the Communist Party is very concerned about tech in particular um, and then has also a social agenda that it would like to push. So, you know, trying to restrict kids uh, gaming is probably positive, particularly as the father of a teenage son. You know, I can see that he spends far too much time on the PS5. Um, but, you know, they kind of have gone about trying to restrict uh, teen gaming in a ham-fisted way that's affected all of gaming and then realized, oh, when we introduce these rules, it has an effect on the stock market. Oh, goodness, we didn't think about that. Uh, you know, and then we've got to overreact to, to try to go in the other direction. We didn't really mean to say that. So uh, the Communist Party is kind of in a funny position where it used to just say, look, let us worry about the politics. You worry about your business and making money and we'll leave you alone to do that uh, and, and you know, be entrepreneurial. Now that they're concerned about tech and the influence that the private sector has, um, then they, they've rolled out a bunch of policies that have had, you know, deleterious effects on, on the economy. And they aren't sure how to push the control that Francis mentioned or reestablish that control without hurting the economy very badly. And so it's upended this normal situation where people could have confidence that the the Chinese Communist Party would definitely be supportive of the economy. Um, Their social ideas, social concepts 
and their desire for political control to, to and the Communist Party to firmly be in charge is is at odds with uh, the freedom of the private sector to to make money. And um, and I'm not sure how we'll see that resolved. I think that's going to be a constant tussle this year um, that we'll we'll see continue. It's it's difficult. Okay. Well, here's a couple of questions to let's get your thoughts about what the outlook is going to be for this year in in various sectors. First of all, China's GDP in nominal terms, it's now 66% of US GDP. In other words, two thirds of US GDP. We know that President Xi Jinping has made it a target of his to get the Chinese economy to overtake the US economy. I think by 2030 was the original target. But what about 2024? Um, is, uh, Is China's GDP going to be bigger than 66% of US GDP by the end of this year? In other words, is it going to outperform the US economy this year? Well, uh, there are some doubts. Uh, I think that the the important question is really the manufacturing sector, because in 2022, China shot itself uh, in the the foot by uh, by its uh, 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 draconian lockdowns and uh, companies like Apple uh, move a lot of the manufacturing to Vietnam and India. Uh, they are not going to return. So I think uh, Chinese manufacturing really suffer and uh, it will take some time to uh, recover from this loss. But the, but the good thing is when when you look at the, the, uh, the success of websites like uh, 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 Timu and Shein, and they, they have done exceptionally well in online sales and retail sales in the U.S. market. So, so I think uh, uh, I'm I'm actually optimistic that uh, China can do better, uh, much better in 2024 than in 2023. What do you think, Alex? Is China going to outperform the U.S. in in terms of nominal GDP well, that- this year? There are two different questions that you asked there. Will uh, China's economy be larger than the U.S.'s? And will China outperform the U.S.? And no, China's economy will not be larger than the U.S.'s at uh, 66%. It's far, far behind mm. uh, the size of the U.S. Uh, um, I think forecasts are that China might briefly pass the United States sometime in the mid-2040s. So we're talking like more than, more than a decade um, before China catches up to the U.S., and then because China's growth is slowing, it will probably then uh, quickly dip below the United States again. So it's going to be quite some time before China rivals the U.S. for overall size of the economy. Will China's economy do grow faster than the U.S. this year? Yes, it will. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, you know, I'm looking at Nomura's forecast. They're looking at growth of about 4% in China and about 1.3% in the United States. Um, so I think the U.S. will see um, some small but steady growth. Uh, China should have um, a, a decent year. But, um, you know, longer term, we're seeing growth um, at, at a much slower rate than, you know, the double digit gains that we were used to seeing in the um, early part of, of this century. And, you know, India will be growing a, a lot faster Um and we're sort of seeing India play the role that China used to in Asia, where it's the large economy that's still growing very quickly because it hasn't really reached uh, its full critical mass yet. 
and China's economy with an aging population, um, you know, is, is slowing. Mm. That that link between other emerging markets and China has sort of been broken, hasn't it? Because um, they used to be very dependent on China because they would sell raw materials uh, to, to China. But now it's sort of like a, a fading China. It's more of an opportunity there for, for some of these emerging market economies like, uh, like India, like Vietnam. Yes, it is. I mean, and Indonesia too, I think. Um, uh, so Vietnam has done very well as sort of like a manufacturing base uh, for China plus one strategies. And uh, I think India um, has is reaping the benefits of a lot of pro-business changes under Narendra Modi, who, um, you know, certainly has his downsides and uh, uh, if we want to talk politics. But his uh, his policies on the business front have been quite stimulative and they've changed quite a few rules to allow, you know, nationwide uh, retail sales, um, trying to reduce taxes, make it easier to do business between different Indian states, make it e- easier for foreign investors to invest into India or, or open um, subsidiaries in India. Uh, all of those are, are really starting to pay off, as well as a re- reform that they brought in the real estate industry several years back. Um, so, yeah, in- India is well positioned right now. And we, we've seen Indian stocks doing very, very well um, kind of as a result of that. Francis, if this underperformance compared to the US is going to be reversed, we're currently China's GDP about 66% of the US. It was 76% just a couple of years ago in 2021. But if that is going to be reversed, something's got to be done about the property sector, hasn't it? So could this be the year (laughs) where we get a policy surprise? Do you think maybe Beijing will finally bite the bullet, step in and bail out some of these property developers directly? I doubt it. I doubt it. Uh, had, uh, if they want want to do it, they would have done it a long time ago because uh, the uh, uh, when China started to uh, run into liquidity problem two years ago. So they they uh, within, as, since then in these two years, China's only offer some piecemeal solutions trying to fix the uh, property market. And they still haven't come up with a uh, really workable solution to bail out the property market. I think that the problem is the oversupply is just staggering. Uh, I, th- I think 20 years ago, I spoke on this program, that when I look at the uh, ghost hunting uh, in China, I believe uh, even then, the Chinese property market will crash at that time. But of course, it, it, it happened 20, 20 years later. Uh, and then right now, I think the hole is so big that even the, uh, no matter how much money you print, the, the problem is they, they, uh, uh, they say uh, the currency, in the current situation, uh, you can move the entire population of India into China and, and still you still have some rooms left. So this is a dire situation that I, I don't think the Chinese government is prepared to do anything meaningful to pay up the property sector. What, what do you think, Alex? Do you think we're going to maybe see some policy surprises this year, more direct fiscal support from the central government and maybe bailing out some of these property developers? I think we're much more likely to see action taken by local governments at a city level, um, provincial level, because 
these are the governments that have been making so much money selling land to property developers. And so they kind of work hand in hand. Um, and those are the, the governments that are really struggling at the moment because the property sector is doing so badly. So I think the form of support we might see is, you know, state-owned companies, state-owned developers taking uh, equity stakes in private developers or buying uh, projects that are stalled or, or troubled off developers, and that it will be more on an individual company-by-company company basis. I think uh, the Beijing government, the central government, is really resistant to uh, broad-based solutions and just saying, okay, well, we're going to pump a bunch of credit back into the property market. They're worried that this, is, this will suddenly overinflate prices again. Um, and I do think that they do want to see the number of developers reduced and some of the cowboy operators pushed out of business. They're probably not too unhappy about that. The The problem is that um, the, you know, the three red lines that they introduced has, has created such instability and, and a loss of faith in the property market that it's caused a problem for all developers rather than just the ones that were overextended in terms of credit. Um, so I, I don't think that we're going to see a really strong arm from the central government to kind of bail out all developers. But they, they have been, you know, telling banks to make sure that they lend to the sector and trying to tweak mortgage rates and make it easier to buy a first home and and so on, or lifting restrictions in the tier one cities. So um, there's been a bunch of small changes, and I think we're more likely to see action on a, on a local level with specific developers. Okay, well, let's turn our attention to Hong Kong. Francis, the big talking point, of course, the stock market and the property market here. First of all, the stock market, the Hang Seng Index, ended 2023 at 17,047, down 13.8% over the year, down four years in a row now. Is it going to be higher or lower at the end of 2024? <laughs> Well, uh, I think uh, on the historical level, I think the market is really at the depression level, so it has to go up. The but but the but the problem is there. Uh, the the overseas have, investors have left Hong Kong and China because, like uh, in Chinese in the Chinese market, the market hasn't performed since uh, twenty fifteen. So uh, all those overseas investors uh, lost their money and they left the market. And uh, for Hong Kong, uh, nobody made any money since 2020. So, <laughs> uh, uh, so it's, it's more than two years that everybody lost their shirt. So uh, I don't have any shirts left to lose again. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think uh, technically, I think the market will stage a rebound, but uh, will will we see something like twenty thousand? I doubt it. I mean, because there's no money in the market. Does it matter that foreign investors have bailed out of the markets uh, on the mainland and here? I mean, on the mainland, foreign investors are only a small percentage of the markets anyway, aren't they? It's by far yeah. dominated by institutional investors and local retail investors. Does it matter mm -hmm. that foreign investors have gone away and may not come back for a while? Yeah, it, it really matters because uh, you can see on the, on the daily turnover, it's below uh, 100 billion every day. Mm. So, 
<laughs> so 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 uh, uh, I I think they make about make up about twenty percent of the market turnover. Once they left, they are not because they 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 are much more attractive markets in Japan, uh, Korea, Taiwan, and India. They they are not going to stay in Hong Kong. So so when, once you you uh, you lose your uh, overseas investors, unless you stage a rebound. Uh, 100%, they're not going to come back. They lost interest already. Mm. What, what do you think, Alex? Is the Hang Seng, is it going to be higher or lower at the end of 2024? Uh, I think definitely higher. Um, if we see uh, the US cutting interest rates, which uh, I, I, would, I predict will happen later than you know the most bullish people expect, I think it will probably be the second half of of this year before we see any interest rate cuts. But if we get interest rate cuts there, and then we get the Chinese economy performing a little bit better, we'll see a total reversal of the two downward forces on the Hong Kong market. So, uh, you know, we import US interest rates into Hong Kong through the pegged currency. And then we've been suffering because the Chinese economy hasn't been doing well. So if rates, US rates start to ease and the Chinese economy starts to do a bit better, both of those um, negative trends are, uh, are flipped and should be very positive for Hong Kong. Um, but, you know, we haven't seen any impact of that yet so far this year. So, um, you know, I think the thinking on the Fed really um, um, changed in December. And and it, even the Fed is saying, you know, we're probably going to cut rates soon. So um, I, I think that 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 will happen. And as a result, the uh, Hong Kong stock market will will kind of front run um, likely uh, U.S. interest rate cuts. And uh, um, I'm not sure how much it'll rally. Um, you know, we, we did see a brief rally um, of the Hong Kong market of 60 some percent, you know, when when it turns. So mm. it can increase rapidly when it does turn. But I, I do think that's going to happen. Um, and uh, yeah, so looks looks positive this year. Okay. Well, that's good news. Obviously, from what you're saying, dependent though on US interest rates, that seems to be the main trigger. What about the property markets, uh, Francis? Centerline Properties Center City Leading Index, which measures secondary private residential property prices in Hong Kong, ended 2023 at 148.59. That's down 5.2% over the year, and it follows a 15.6% decline in 2022. What's going to happen to the local property prices at the end of 2024, higher or lower? <laughs> I think it's going to fall again because uh, 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 there's news that the property developer in the Wong Chuk Hang in uh, MPL, uh, yeah, uh, I think the developer cut the, uh, uh, the prices for the remaining flats by something like uh, 25% to move them. Mm. And uh, so, so that shows that uh, uh, the public in the market still has something like ten uh, percent to go. I mean, ten percent to fall. Uh, 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 since uh, twenty twenty, I think uh, two hundred thousand people have left Hong Kong for UK and Canada and other places. And and, and according to some survey, 
they spend 100 billion pounds in in the UK to buy properties so that so that your property's gone up but then but, but Hong Kong properties prices have gone down I think uh, because of the fourth declining population and I think I expect property market to fall again this year maybe between five to ten percent. Okay, Alex, what are your thoughts? The government's doing everything it can to try and remove some of these property market restrictions where they're also stopping selling, having land auctions for this quarter because the market has got so bad. Is it going to recover this year? Well, I mean, the government could remove a a lot more restrictions, so it's kept some in place. Um, I I think the property market will be tough to turn around. Uh, I I would expect it to decline less than 5% this year, but i do think it may be flat or slightly down. Um, if we do see US interest rate cuts, that makes mortgages cheaper in Hong Kong, makes it more attractive to buy. Um, you know, the property market is a lagging indicator and the stock market's a leading indicator. So watch the stock market to see where property prices are going to go. So if we do see the rally that I expect in the Hang Seng um, start to happen, maybe uh, in the second half of this year, then you can expect property prices to follow that. So we might be looking into 2025 before those rally. But if we if we see a, a stronger than expected uh, rally in in Hong Kong equity market, um, then the situation may may become more positive for Hong Kong property. But uh, yeah, w- watch the stock market basically because uh, you know there's a big wealth effect when um, you know. Stocks in Hong Kong are, are, you know, half the value of five years ago. That means um, wealthy people have half the money that they had to invest into into property. And um, you know, there's a, a been a really negative, um, you know, uh, wealth effect uh, as a result of the stock market declines. If that changes, then people may feel a bit more positive about their portfolio and start to look to put a bit more money back into the property market. Okay. Let me turn our attention to the markets and in particular, France's inflation. A lot of focus on whether or not inflation is under control. And that's going to really dictate what happens to treasury bond yields, what happens to the US dollar. Now, the US core PCE prices index, that's the Fed's favourite indicator of inflation. It ended last year or in November anyway, rising 3.2%. Is inflation going to be higher or lower at the end of the year in the US? I think for the U.S. it's going to be lower, but I think for Asia and Europe it's going to be higher, mainly because the Hoovy rebels, because they are attacking, they are attacking the merchant ships in the in the Red Sea. So, so if if the shipping company had to uh, go the long long route uh, uh, around the Cape of Good Hope, South America, South Africa. Then uh, that will drive up. Uh, that has already driven up the freight rates from Asia to Europe by 100% last week. So inflation is going to pick up again. Uh, I think uh, in Asia and Europe, but but the U.S. does not use the Suez Canal, uh, uh, so it's it's not going to hurt the U.S. So I think uh, inflation will 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 certainly fall in the U.S. But for the rest of the world, it's going to go up. So I think uh, U.S. Treasury use will continue to fall. Okay. Alex, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think U.S. inflation is moderating, seems to be feeling the 
effects of the US Federal Reserve's actions. Um, so uh, I would expect that uh, to continue. I think Eurozone inflation should also uh, fall and, and hopefully in Britain where, you know, price increases on food and the like have been just crazy. Um, I think uh, we're, we're going to see an end to that. Although, you know, if people are expecting prices to go back to their previous levels, they don't. That's not how it works. Inflation means, you know, prices are just going up less quickly. So mm. they will continue to go up, but just not as fast. Um, and Asia really hasn't had this kind of problem outside of, you know, the Pacific, Australia, New Zealand have, have been contending with inflation, but um, Japan and China really haven't seen any significant inflation. Um, so, um, you know, it's not too much of an issue here. And I think I think the inflation story will kind of be quietly forgotten uh, this year. Okay. And one final question, Francis, for fun only, really, yeah. this one. Will Donald Trump win the US presidential election in November? Uh, oh, God forbid. <laughs> we don't want a criminal to, to be the president of the United States. It, uh, it, it's going to be the disaster for the world. It's, it's like putting Kim Jong-un in the White House. Well, so you're, you're pretty adamant. But will he win? No, I no. don't think so. I, I, I think American voters have more sense than that. Okay. Final word to you, Alex. Uh, he might. I don't know. I was. I didn't think he would get elected the first time, and then I thought he would get re-elected. And he didn't. So I've been wrong each time. Um, <laughs> I'm worried that he might. Uh, it would be very bad for the US to have a dictator. Um, and uh, I don't know. It, it, I don't understand the people who continue to support him after you know so many uh, rule violations. Hopefully, he he will be convicted of a crime and ineligible to run. Um, although we're going to see, a, you know, that all sent to the Supreme Court, uh, you know, with justices that he put there deciding the cases. So um, uh, I, I don't know. As to say, I, I hope not. OK, well, look, thank you very much for your thoughts there and have a happy new year. You heard Alex Fu McMillan, who is a freelance writer and Asia columnist for TheStreet.com. Francis Lun, who is the CEO of GEO Securities. <laughs> I'm joined now by Mike Gibbs-Harris, who is Director of MGH Asset Management in Wellington, New Zealand. Morning, Mike, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too, Peter. Well, let me get some thoughts about 2024 as we start uh, the beginning of the new year. First of all, down under, how, how, how are markets and the economy looking in Australia and New Zealand? Australia, it hit a record high, didn't it, the stock market earlier on this week? Yeah, I think Australia probably looks in, in better shape than New Zealand does. It's it's benefiting a little bit from uh, the rise in commodity prices. It's a more resilient economy. It's benefiting, I think, from quite a lot of, immig of immigration, which is helping support house prices. And it's, it's probably um, enjoying... Uh, a moment in the sun, I suppose, given given that it's uh, summer down here. New Zealand, on the other hand, uh, just before Christmas, the economic numbers came out. GMP was lower than expected. The government has come in and says, "Oh, the uh, the budget is is in worse shape than than we thought it would be," and it looks as though it's going to be quite a slog for for New Zealand for for twenty twenty four. And what is it that's holding the New Zealand economy back? Um, 
commercial uh, farming prices is hurting, high interest rates, inflation has has eroded uh, people's consumer uh, propensity to 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 spend. Also, I think there's a little bit of uncertainty as to what this new government is going to do. Everybody says, oh, yes, it's good, we've changed. But they are somewhat constrained in, in what they want to do and what they are able to do, given the fairly high level of debt in, in the New Zealand uh, economy. And is it a fairly radical government, the, the new government? Well, it's making sort of radical noises without actually doing anything particularly radical yet. It it really only got into power just before the, the Christmas recess. And New Zealand shuts down for January, essentially. It's the Christmas it's the Christmas holiday followed by the summer summer holidays. And it really only gets gets going in about the first week of February. So there's been an you know, a bit of noise as to what they want to do, but people are just waiting. And there's also, I think, a, a little bit of fear that there may be other shoes to drop in terms of just finding things which will cost more than people expected. I think part of the problem has been that the budgets for large infrastructure projects have just gone up because construction material has gone up so much mm-hmm. over the last three or four years and haven't been able to go and do anything because of COVID. And so instead of something costing 300 million, it'll cost 500 million or something like that. Is inflation under control in New Zealand? Yes, I think so, because the Reserve Bank went fairly early and fairly, fairly hard. Um, its target is to bring it down to, to a 3%, and the price level at the moment is 3.1. So it's it's pretty much there. But... I think the problem is more how they're going to stimulate the economy whilst keeping inflation under 3%. Mm. And what about inflation elsewhere? I mean, the big debate in the markets at the moment is over US inflation, the outlook for US inflation, and also to a certain extent, the outlook for European um, inflation as well. I mean, I think um, people got it completely wrong, didn't they, at the beginning of 2023. The macro uh, strategists were basically saying, you know, the US was going to fall into a recession. We were going to see a sharp drop uh, in, uh, in interest rates. That didn't really pan out in the way that people were talking about. But what about for this year? Has the Fed got inflation under control? I think it's very difficult to say that the Fed will be able to get inflation down to 2% and cut interest rates six <laughs> six times in 2024. So there's, a, I think, quite a lot of optimism that they have got it under control. And I think I'd rather go on the other side that the danger is that interest rates stay higher for, for longer. So could it, the Fed is predicting three rate cuts in its dot plot for, for this year. The market's predicting six, as you said. Is, is the Fed even too optimistic? Are we even going to see the three? I think it's possible that, that there'll only be uh, – that there'll be less than three. But I think that would re- require the US economy to be a bit stronger than people are expecting. I mean, everybody, including myself, expected a recession this year. But the things which caused the potential for a recession still haven't gone away. I mean, the leading economic indicators have been down every month for, I think, about the past 18. 
Um, there's still an inverted yield curve. Interest rates are still high. I think at, at some stage there's been a benefit from essentially a, a wealth effect because the stock market's gone back up and house prices have stayed strong. So I think that there's still, I mean, there's still a recession out there. It's just a question when it comes. Mm. And in, in terms of things like the job markets, we just saw the data last night, didn't we, from the US, the ADP jobs yeah. reports. We also saw initial jobless claims better uh, better than maybe people thought, or in, in terms of uh, jobs, less jobless claims, suggesting that the labour market is still in pretty rude health at the moment. So that, that, of course, isn't going to help the, uh, the case for, for rate cuts. Yep, I agree with you. And I think that the other problem is that, I mean, we had quite a quite an interesting last quarter for for ten year bond rates in the U.S., which went from um, from under four to up to five, back all the way to to four in in pretty sharp uh, fashion. And I think that the danger is that U.S. rates, long rates, stay high. There was a lot of talk during twenty twenty three about. The, the term structure of, of rates. And essentially that means that if you lend longer, that, that you should get paid more, i.e. The, the yield curve should be upward sloping. And at the moment, we've still got an inverted yield curve, i.e. short-term rates, which are about 5%, are higher than long rates. And so it's quite possible that we do get 1% or 1.5% cuts in short-term rates and, and long bonds don't move at all in, in the US. Mm. So, um, and, and in fact, in fact, I think that they're probably even now just a, a little bit too low unless there's a, a big slowdown in the economy. And presumably, given the size of the deficits in the US and the amount of issuance there's going to have to be this year for, for Treasury bonds, presumably investors will demand a higher term premium, a higher premium for that as well, for that risk. Yes, I think so. And there's also all of the political uncertainty, but perhaps if America's made great again, they won't require the extra amount. So where where do you think Treasury yields are going to go this year? They ended 2023 at 3.87% on the 10-year. It's back at 4% now um, as of today. But do you think um, Treasury yields, the 10-year yield, is it going to be higher or is it going to be lower at the end of 2024? I think it's going to be about 4%. And if I was going to go and bet, I'd say it would probably be slightly higher, but not by much. And what about the US dollar? The US dollar index, around 101.4 on the final trading day of 2023. Are we going to see a rally in the US dollar this year? Essentially, that US, uh, it's the, the DXY is, is the symbol for it. I'm not quite sure what, what that's short for. But that's heavily weighted towards... European currencies, that the mm. Euro's fifty-eight percent, sterling's twelve, and the Swiss, uh, the Swiss and the Swedish krona are four percent each. So, for that uh, U.S. dollar index, you're really making a bet against or for European uh, currencies. At the moment, where interest rates are, unless the Fed cuts faster than people are expecting. 
I can't see it falling very far. So I, I think my inclination would be certainly for the first six months of the year for the dollar to stay roughly where it is or slightly higher. Do you, th- do you think the eurozone could be the surprise package this year? I mean, last year, obviously, it was the US economy in terms of how strongly it performed and also the markets, um, how well they performed. Could this be the year for uh, for the European economies? Well, well, European markets did OK last year as well. And the the thing was that the US looked so so good because those seven stocks took it up about an extra twenty percent, <laughs> and I I think if you took those stocks out, that uh, in local currency terms, the, the US actually did slightly worse than most of Europe. Mm. Um, so I think that Europe had a pretty tough year last year because of the problems with. Um, the the Ukrainian war and the price of of uh, commodities going up and the, and the food prices going up, I I think Europe would would be quite happy to go and settle for for a fairly boring uh, boring year this year. <laughs> and and what about those magnificent seven tech stocks? Can they carry on um, outperforming? I mean, they are showing signs at the moment, aren't they, of flagging at the beginning of this year, particularly stocks like uh, like Apple, and also they're vast. That magnificent seven, they are vastly different stocks, really, aren't they? Aren't they? You've got stocks like Nvidia, which is the big AI play, but then you've got Tesla and and Apple as well. They're they're not sort of homogeneous genius at all. But are they going to continue to outperform or are we going to see uh, the market itself broaden out or are we going to just see the whole market collapse? I think if you looked at the uh, uh, 2022, what really happened was that the technology stocks led the market down. And I think the danger is that that happens again because the US market's running up against valuation uh, constraints those stocks are pretty expensive. If they don't grow, and there's been some signs that that, that they haven't been growing as fast as people are expecting, uh, that, that there's a danger that, that they underperform the market by leading it down. Okay. And one final question, if we're going to talk about the US and the, what's going to happen this year in November, the, the presidential election, is Donald Trump going to win? Uh, I fear so. I hope not, but I fear so. And and the fear is because of because of what is this going to be a a chaotic presidency again? No, I think it'll probably be less chaotic than his last one. And in fact, if you look at, at what happened to the markets during his last president, uh, his last presidency, they actually did did pretty well. I just don't think that it's probably good for someone who is alleged to have incited insurrection. I shall uh, choose my words carefully there. Um, to to come back as president. Mm. And he is sounding, you listen to him on the campaign trail, he's sounding rather angry and vindictive, isn't he? That this next presidency, if he gets it, is going to be all about taking revenge on all these people he thinks have slighted him over the past few years. Yeah, I'm not sure that his campaign appearances um, before he became president were actually sort of renowned for, for, for nice comfy, warm, fit, fuzzy speeches, but these ones really do sound not very nice. Mm. Well, thank you very much, Mike, for your thoughts this year. It'll be interesting to see how things turn out, and we look forward to speaking to you again later on in the year, and have a happy new year. Happy new year to you, Peter. All the best. Thanks. You're listening to Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. 
thanks to my guests this morning and thank you for listening today and this week. If you want to get more details on some of the stories we've discussed this morning, please go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com and have a read of my daily newsletter. I'll be back on Monday when I'll be joined by Alex Wong, Director at Alex KY Wong Asset Management, and Michelle Lamb, Greater China Economist at Société Générale Corporate and Investment Banking and providing a view from mainland China, will be Shanghai-based independent economist Andy Sher. Have a great weekend. Money Talk. 